Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences happening around the world. Specifically, NDC Sydney, happening August 14th through the 18th in Sydney, Australia. Now, I personally can't make it to Sydney this year, but you're going, right, Richard? Absolutely, I'm going, you know, because Sydney. Uh, yeah, Awesome. I wish I could go. So go to NDCSydney.com and register now. And save some money and register before December 31st for super early bird pricing. And for more great NDC conferences, go to NDCconferences.com. Crikey! .NET Rocks, episode 1391, with guest Jules Kremer. Recorded Friday, December 2nd, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, Jules Kramer from Google is here. It's going to be a great show. Indeed. And uh, Richard. Yes, bud. I think we're going to do something very special in this show, aren't we? Ooh, what do you want to do? I think we are going to give away some stuff. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, we've been building up to it for a while, so I guess we better. Yeah. We'll do a regular giveaway, um, and then we will talk about the winner, 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 winner of the $5,000 shopping spree. But first, it's time for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I've got a, a kind of a funny a funny video here. Um, this, is, this is done by Stackify. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple ways you can get to it. 1391.pwop.me or pwop.me, or you could go to prefix.netrocks.com. So it's it's kind of an ad, but it's it's really well done and really funny. It's a it's just a funny ad for for developers, and they push a lot of developer buttons that you oh, don't yeah. you don't usually see. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. I think everybody should go watch it for the pure entertainment value of it. Nice. Um, try to describe what's funny about it isn't going to be funny, so I won't. So She's just go, go check watch it, it out. Prefix.dotnetrocks.com. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab the comments off of show 1374, the one we did back in November with Steve Sanderson talking about JavaScript services. And one of the services he was talking about, because that was about packaging up things like Angular and Knockout or React or React Redux as ways to get using them quickly. Mm hmm. So that it's not quite so complicated to get configured. Lots right. of conversation that show. Our friend Rob Eisenberg jumped into that conversation too, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and this comment comes from Ian Plimmer, who says, This was one of the most interesting shows of late for me on .NET Rocks. Sometimes you can forget that once you lived within an ecosystem of Visual Studio and server-rendered websites, how hard it is to get into front-end programming. Mm. I've pushed myself into this over the past 18 months, and it was hard. On reflection, it wasn't the best of times now with the advent of React, Angular, Angular 2, Aurelia, Vue.js, and so on, but I had no idea I was dipping my toes in scalding lava until I did. He's scalding yeah. lava. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but months on now, this project, meaning JavaScript services, would have been perfect for me to tinker, understand, and then get under the hood. Yeah. So well done, Steve. You've made some developers pretty happy. I wish someone had done it last year <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I get you, Ian. It's a really good idea to make this stuff easier, and mm-hmm. uh, there's no saving your burnt toes from all that lava, but how about a .NET Rocks mug to compensate? And so a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook, and if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We always react to them. Oh, Lord. No? No. <laughs> you should look for a better angular on right. that. A better angular. <laughs> <laughs> a funnier angular, anyway. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, bring on Jules Kremer. And this is going to be a great show, kids. Jules is head of Angular Developer Relations at Google. And when not working with developers, Jules is often bending into pretzel-like shapes, climbing mountains, or drinking really awesome beer. Welcome, Jules. Thanks. I love beer. Yeah. (laughs) So, Jules, can you tell me what the head of Angular Developer Relations uh, does on a day-to-day basis? What is your background and and what do you do? Uh, Yeah. So, uh, let's start with what is my background and then I'll tell you a little bit about what my daily life looks like today. Cool. Um, So, I've been in uh, developer since I graduated from college many more years ago than I want to let you know how many there actually are. And uh, I pretty much just wrote code from the time I uh, exited college. I worked for some startups, in particular in the legal space. And uh, then I worked for a couple of big Microsoft systems integrators. Uh, And then I actually worked at Microsoft on uh, SharePoint development for a number of years before moving to Google. Wow. Um, When I first joined Google, I took a little break from developers. I wanted to see if there was something else in the world besides code and ones and zeros and (laughs) bits and bytes. That's just crazy Um, talk. (laughs) Right. So there isn't. So I'm back. Um, But I did take that little bit of a break. And quite frankly, the world changed a lot in in those five years. Oh, yeah. The last code that I wrote was actually in .NET under SharePoint. And then I took a break. And then I came back to developers. Uh, The nice thing about Google is I went to my manager and said, I really miss developers. I want to go back to working with developers. Is that cool? And they said, cool, go find a really awesome developer productivity team that you want to be a part of. Um, and I took a good six months. I actually took some time working with the Google Apps, or I guess it's now called G Suite, yep. uh, developer team, uh, helping them like scope out how APIs should work and how uh, like information worker productivity developers might use those services. And then by fluke, I went to ng-conf a couple of years ago, knowing nothing about what Angular is. I actually went because my dear friends from the office developer group were going to be there, uh, mm. Andrew Connell and Jeremy Fake. Oh my, and yeah. I went just I went just to socialize. I knew no one on Angular. I knew nothing about Angular. I sat in the off, uh, audience for the first keynote thinking, what is this product that mm-hmm. the audience just loves these people and I understand nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the TypeScript session occurred and I was like, wow, this makes sense to me. TypeScript, yeah. yay. And uh, coincidentally, uh, six months later, uh, out of pure coincidence and fluke, I was set up with a meeting with Brad Green. And again, I didn't know him. And I walked into the room and we had this lovely conversation. And by the end of it, I knew that Angular was the place that I wanted to work. Yeah. Nice. And uh, so I talked to Brad and uh, Naomi Black, who's uh, another TPM on the Angular uh, team. And within a matter of days, we had all agreed that this was a perfect fit, and I joined the Angular team, and that's sort of the history of how I got to this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daily life is is sort of an interesting uh, developer relations role. So I, I feel like I wear two hats. 
Uh, so I do manage our DevRel team, and that includes myself and Stephen Fluin and Rob Wormald, who are two developer advocates. And we spend the majority of our daily life really trying to figure out uh, how is Angular being adopted externally to Google, uh, and what do we need to do to the product to make it even more successful and easier to use for all the developers that are not Google developers. Yeah. And that's a big job because we do develop uh Angular internally for Google products, and we use it slightly differently internally at Google simply due to the different tool chain or, or way in which Googlers develop software. Hmm. Googlers. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I spend a lot of my time sort of uh, evangelizing both internally uh, and externally. So externally, right, that's just traditional developer advocacy work, uh, going out to conferences, uh, hmm. meetups talking to big companies, talking to individual developers, talking to systems integrators, understanding the use cases, uh, where we're not doing the right thing or where we need to improve our tooling, and then coming back into the office and you know talking to our engineering team about what's in the pipeline and what we need to do to make it better externally. Yeah. Um, and we, we do a little bit of internal work as well. Uh, so like, for example, I'm actually sitting in Japan while we have this conversation and we've spent the last two days doing internal uh, Angular 2 training for, for Google engineers here in Japan. Wow. Busy. <laughs> I would yeah. say. Yeah, kidding. <laughs> How does Google use Angular different than the rest of the world? Um, well, I think the biggest uh, difference is that there is only one version of Angular at Google. Oh. Always. And, and Google is always on the master branch of Angular. Um, so, so they're using uh, Angular 2 then? Well, we do have Angular 1 still internally at Google because not everyone has migrated to Angular 2. Right. Mm. Um, it's but, not an easy migration. Uh, it is, you know, we're not having too many problems with that. That's just a matter of time, really. Right. Um, so we do have Angular 1 and we do have Angular 2, but both sit at the head of each of those different products, right? And mm -hmm. so we don't have the same like uh, versioning issues. And this is actually super beneficial to the developers externally who use Angular um, because we really battle test Angular internally first before we ever release it. And what I mean by that is we have thousands of apps at Google that use Angular. Wow. And when we push update, we as Angular are actually responsible if we break any single line of code. Uh -huh. So we don't want to do that because we don't want to have to go fix the thousands of applications if we were to break them. So we do a lot of end-to-end -end testing. We have a lot of CI around this. And uh, we can be pretty confident that we push something into master that it that it's functional and it's working. We've tested it against a bunch of use cases. That isn't to say we don't make mistakes. We're human. We make mistakes. Um, but for the most part, uh, it, it gives us this really great uh test bed of knowing that what we're doing is is not going to break a bunch of people's code yeah. nice um could we talk about like what's the app that everybody uses around uh, you know in, in google that depends on angular is there anything we would recognize uh sure so uh angular i don't keep track too much of the angular one apps any longer mm -hmm. uh, we do have a significant number of angular one apps um, and we do have a number of Angular apps that are currently in uh, the progress of upgrading, and some of those are using our ng upgrade adapter to do that, and some of them are just fresh rewrites. Uh, so, for example, Green Tea is our internal CRM. It's a custom CRM, a la Salesforce or uh, whatever CRM you might know, yep. and uh, that's built with Angular. Uh, AdWords is built on Angular. Hmm. Uh, 
Google Fiber, uh, their website's built on Angular. Um, uh, the Cloud Console, I don't know the external name. I guess it might be Google Cloud Console. Yeah. So if you're a cloud customer, you use the console. That's written in Angular. Nice. Um, and yeah. I, I could go on and on. So uh, yeah. there's some that I'm not sure are public. Uh, but we try to use the ones that we're pretty f- we're pretty sure are, are publicly uh, uh, referenceable. No, I got to yeah. say, it must be a great job having such a great product to be an evangelist for. I mean, that just must make your life wonderful. I feel blessed like every day to come to work, <laughs> not only because I have the coolest job, but I have to be honest, I've been in the engineering developer world since, like I said, since more years than I want to count. Yeah. And this team is the most remarkable team I've ever worked with. And I know this is going to sound really lame or like I'm being fake, but this is the first engineering team I've ever worked with where truly their mission and their goals with this product are to make life easier for developers. Hmm. As open source, we make zero money for Google, right? We are funded entirely because Google products rely on us. Yeah. But, and that makes the team's motivations for what we're doing entirely different than any product I've ever worked on before. Yeah. Sure. Makes yeah. sense. I mean, you're affecting the productivity of all across Google, but you don't have to worry about like selling your product directly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember uh, when I very first started and I wasn't ready to evangelize Angular on my own to anyone. And I went to a big meeting with my manager, Brad Green. And I remember somebody challenging him and, you know, really being aggressive and challenging him. And he said, you know, look, I don't make any more or less money if you use this product. (laughs) And it it really took me a good number of months to digest this because I've always worked on a revenue-based product. Yeah. Um, And it's a very freeing, freeing experience to realize that what we're really here to do is make developers more productive and make web development and mobile development easier. We're not here to sell you anything. And I imagine you get some really good feedback from these customers who are using it in the field. Um, and you know, that you can take right back to the team and, and, uh, has that happened? Oh, absolutely. I have pages and pages of feedback and comments and questions and wish lists from big businesses and other developers. Uh, last night, we did a meetup here in Japan with 200 developers, and the the interest and, and uh, experience for them is just phenomenal. And every time we go outside of the Google walls, my team does trip reports. And if you ever follow along with our Monday morning, uh, or I guess our Monday afternoon, rather, uh, team meetings that we push all of the notes publicly to Twitter, you'll see we reflect a lot uh, in on Mondays about what we've heard and what the response is to different things we're doing. Wow. So w- what are some of those things that have been a result of a uh, customer suggestion or wish list? So I think if I, if I look historically, since I joined Angular, um, I was the first person to join Angular to really focus on external developers. Mm. Um, and, and that was about a little over a year ago. And the team recognized that there was a lot of external developers that they didn't know how to talk to or businesses that they didn't know how to reach. Um, and so when I first joined, the, the first thing that I, I really discovered was that most developers external to Google really wanted us to have an opinion. Whereas with Angular 1, we didn't really have an opinion. We we said, oh, we want to work with everything, use whatever you want. Um, and what I discovered was that a lot of developers were struggling because there is a lot of tools in the front-end world. Do you use Grump, Karma, Coffee, whatever, Mocha? Yep. You know how those two <laughs> things are very important, by the way, and I wish I had some right now. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
But what I discovered was that the real need was for us to be a little bit more opinionated while still maintaining the flexibility that if you wanted to do something that wasn't alongside of our opinion, or you had a different way of doing things, or your company had a specific build system, that we could work with that, but also give developers looking for that guidance something. And so tools like the CLI really came out of that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it sort of ties into this thought. I was going to ask you about the move from one to two and the controversy was around it, but I think you're hinting at two was about being more opinionated. Yeah, I mean, so the two had started before I joined Angular. Okay. Uh, one of the pieces of feedback that we got, and actually the first time we really heard this strongly was coincidentally at an MVP summit up at Microsoft. Um, as an ex-softie and then a Googler for a number of years, <laughs> uh, my first month on the Angular team, I got invited to speak at the MVP summit. That was pretty incredible. Yeah, that's pretty um, weird. That's awesome, though. <laughs> right? And when we were, th- it was really crazy because uh, it was actually in the EBC building. And the, the last time I had been in there, um, was to win an award where my name is on the wall. So they let me go up and take a picture and it was really kind of cool. But That's great. Um, anyway, um, that was about a year and a half ago. And um, we had just sort of announced that we had this, this library called NG Upgrade that allows you to mix and match Angular 1 components and Angular 2 components in the same application so that you can migrate slowly. You don't have to do a full rewrite. And uh, those MVPs, uh, there was actually, we were just blown away at every single person raised their hand that they were Angular developers already. Mm-hmm. And so we, we got a lot of feedback there on the types of enterprise use cases that were being developed against this NG upgrade and what we needed to do to change it. And so you'll actually notice recently we just released a new uh, NG upgrade that supports AOT uh, versus the first one, which did not support AOT. And a lot of those modifications and changes came from that feedback we were getting. I remember back when um, Angular just came on the scene and people were using mostly Knockout and there was a few other um, frameworks that were coming out at the time, but Knockout was sort of out in front. And I, I think it might have been Miguel Castro, I'm not sure, but it, he was he was sort of all into Angular and, and maybe he wasn't. I, I can't remember, but I remember what I do remember is that people saying, you know, knockout is simple and Angular it takes a little more time it, to get around the learning curve, but once you get it, it's very, very powerful. And then fast forward to Angular 2, the whole John Papa talking about that, you know, what he, what he was really saying was it takes a lot of the ceremony away, you know, the stuff yeah. that you shouldn't have to deal with. And I wonder, you know, if, you know, that's what they were pushing up against in the Angular 1 land. They really liked it because it was very powerful and could do a lot more than the, the tools of the day. But yet uh, it took a bit more of a learning curve. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Like, right, we want to make it a lot easier. I know that when I first joined Angular, Angular 2 was still in development. And I started down this path. And every Monday, I would come in super frustrated with learning Angular. But what I quickly discovered was as a server-side, like, .NET developer, I wasn't actually struggling with Angular itself. Um, the Angular syntax was fairly easy to use. And as somebody who's familiar with .NET and Silverlight development and those types of things, mm. that that part made sense. But where I was getting lost and just frustrated and I wanted to beat my head against a wall was in this tool chain. And how do I get started fast? Why do I have to set up all this stuff? Right. Um, and that's really where the CLI comes in, right? Because we developed it for that reason. And it, it gives you the ability to just sort of get started typing ng new. And uh, we just launched that with Webpack recently. And so most companies are using Webpack. And so it goes along with their existing tool chain as well. Yeah. 
So you get feedback from developers. You you do uh, assistance and evangelism and talking about new features and how to get set up. Um, does do you or Google or you know anyone on your team ever do like hackathons or uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, we just did. So one of the things that that is amazing about Google is I and I'm, it's very public, so I can talk about it is that we have this notion of 20% projects, right? Yeah. And you would be blown away by how many people have Angular as their 20% projects. So wow. um, I, this is actually going to directly towards your question. But for example, the internal training here in Tokyo that I was just talking about, the, the entire training was actually given by a 20% contributor whose real job is nothing to do with Angular. His real job is about uh, Google Shopping. He's on the Google Shopping team. Uh, but he loves Angular so much that he he devotes 20% of his time to teaching Googlers how to use Angular. Nice. And his manager is completely okay with the fact that he's here in Japan with us for a week. We have another 20% contributor who's another engineer out in New York, and he has recently developed this code lab hackathon thing for us. And we are testing it right now. We actually did a fairly large test of it in New York last week, and we had some very large developer customers send big swaths of their developer teams. And we very specifically went after non-Angular developers. So send me your Java, send me your .NET developers, and let's see how fast this hackathon or code lab can get them running. Nice. And we are yeah. testing that right now uh, for the second week in Ch China. So we're, we're, uh, we have another team that's in China this week. And then once we all get back from our various APAC trips, we're going to take that hackathon code lab and we're going to open source it back to the world. Um, and the reason that we're doing things like this is that one of the big pieces of feedback we heard from larger companies that have very large developer teams um, and as you're probably well aware, these developer teams don't often get to go to conferences or yeah. trainings yeah. or have the time to learn. And so what these big companies were asking us for is, hey, do you have content where we can get one or two people and you, we kind of train the trainer kind of deal, right? Yeah. And so we're actively using these 20% contributors to create that content. So not only are we taking the hackathon uh, code lab that we did, but we're also taking this internal training I'm referring to. And as we refine it, after doing it in front of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Googlers, we will be stripping out all of the Google specific information and then open sourcing that training, uh, two day training uh, lab also. And so those are the various ways in which we were, we do work internally that we try to make uh, available externally so that uh, developers can learn faster. And we do do things like hackathons. We did the uh, Angular attack last year, which was professionally managed hackathon with mm. thousands and thousands of developers contributing. Um, and we, we go around, we do meetups a lot. Yeah. Um, and we spend a lot of time trying to support our community because uh, we recognize that community is the most important thing to Angular. So uh, last night was the NG Japan meetup. We also had one in China yesterday. We have one in Belgium last night. Um, so really wow. trying to support as much of that as possible. That's fantastic. Yeah, really, really kind of cool stuff. And it'll be interesting to see what these projects look like as you bring them back to the North America, essentially. And and we get to uh, yeah, experiment and, with them. You know, we have some other uh, other interesting things in the works with in, in sort of this vein. So, for example, we have a very large company, and I'm not going to say their name right now uh, because I don't know if they've gotten to the public point of this. But they are actually – they have a whole series of, of sort of uh, best practices, if you will, for how to use Upgrade in a, in a very large context. So, this is a very, very large media company. Mm, wow. They're taking all of their internal 
uh, best practices, both how do you choose between Angular 2 and rewriting Angular 1 or using ng-upgrade? And then what happens when you choose ng-upgrade? What if you have your own component library? How do you work that into your future Angular roadmap? And mm. they're going to open source all those uh, projects back to the community. So we, like, we work almost weekly with that company to ensure that what they're doing is aligned to what we believe is the best thing for the product. Cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have a sense of the utilization of Angular for external facing apps versus internal facing apps? Because it just seems like a tool well suited to internal corporate apps. So it's a really interesting question that I really struggle with. Um, if your job, so, you know, at every company, you have a job, right? And your boss says, these are the things you're trying to achieve in your job, right? Mm -hmm. um, my job is to make Angular successful externally to Google. So, of course, the metric that matters the most is adoption. Right. Um, internally, we know exactly how many lines of code are written using Angular because internally we have the microscope, if you will, to run those kind of reports and we know exactly which teams are using it. We know sure. exactly which parts of Angular they're using, which parts they're not. We've got all kinds of data. Externally, we don't. Right. It's a big challenge for a number of reasons. Number one, we actually can't really tell in Angular 2 if you've used Angular 2. Um, right. Because of our code generation technique, it's very possible that a website is written with Angular 2 and we won't know about it at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of the early research I did also indicated that for every website a big, large company has built with Angular, there is more internal line of business apps built with Angular that we have no visibility to. So the classic case we like to use is there's a very popular Southern California company. We thought that they had such a cool product that we went and talked to them. We we're like, hey, we think you use Angular. And they're like, we do use Angular. How did you know that? And we said, we just guessed. So we went down huh. and we met with their team and turns out they have no public properties on Angular. They have 98 internal line of business apps running on Angular. Wow. And so that, that kind Incredible. of visibility doesn't, we don't have it. And so it's a really hard metric for us to actually get, gauge the adoption rates of Angular. Right now, if you look at any of our keynotes or how we present, we usually use the number of 30-day actives to our doc site. Clearly, as developers, you know that developers go to doc site to learn and don't often come back repeatedly. So we know right. that the numbers are, are fake, if you will, but that's the number that we predominantly use to talk about Angular adoption. Hmm. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. I think it's that very special time. Yep. It's time to announce we're actually not giving away anything this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that funny. That's actually, and that's the joke. That's what's okay. funny. Okay. Uh, yes, we, of course, are giving away the $5,000 technology giveaway in this episode right now. However, first, we need to give away a D-Experience subscription. Right. Yes. To someone who is not getting the $5,000 prize but still getting a very, very good prize from Developer Express. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Samant Samir. Congratulations, Samant. Yes. Golf clap yeah, for you, golf sir. Golf clap for Samant. And uh, Samant just won the D-Experience subscription just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, like right now, <laughs> we're going to give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And that member is Brian Wilson! Lots of claps. Not the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson uh, from Ohio. There you go. Who is on the phone with us right now. Hi, Brian. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. So uh, were you excited and surprised that you won out of all these thousands of people? Yes, I was surprised, yes, and I was excited. <laughs> yeah, I just came into work and I saw that email. And you knew exactly what it was right away, right? Yep, I did. <laughs> That's good. We've trained you well. <laughs> it's only taken us a few years to convince people we're serious. So, uh, where are you from and what do you do? Um, I'm from Newark, Ohio, and um, I'm a part-time developer, and I manage and run a garden center also. Neat. Oh, that's cool. And do you actually write programs for your own business? Yeah, for my own business and also for about 100 garden centers across the country and Canada. Wow. How cool is that? So, is it just basic management software? Well, it's the point of sale system. Oh, cool. Great. And what what's your uh you know, your platform, your language, all of that stuff? Well, currently I, I, I inherited this program from someone else and it's currently in Visual Basic Six. Oh man. I'm planning on moving to C sharp here soon and I've written side programs that is in C sharp just so I can get myself learned oh, on how great. to write. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, tell us what you're going to win with your $5,000 shopping spree. Tell us what you're going to buy. Well, I'm uh, fully loaded Surface Book. It's the first thing on my list. All right. Awesome. Yeah, and then also uh, uh, an iPad Pro um, to okay. replace my original iPad that I have. And also a new um, Android phone, a Nexus 6P. Yeah. That's the phone I'm getting. And... I'm um, an Xbox. So awesome. upgrading, upgrading all the gear, huh? Yep. That's good. Very good. So do you plan on doing development with your uh, Surface Book? Yeah, doing development on it. And also when I travel to the other garden centers, using it to help troubleshoot. Ah, very good. Well, uh, I placed the order for all of this stuff today, which is December 1st. So you should have it in time for the holidays. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Brian, thanks very much for listening to .NET Rocks. And whatever you do, don't stop listening or Richard and I will have to get real jobs. <laughs> nope, I won't stop. <laughs> all right. And congratulations again. Thank you. And there you go. That was awesome. Another year, another $5,000 prize. Another Nigerian princess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Brian believed us. He believed us right off the bat. He was, there you go. He was watching out for it. Yep. There you go. It's but good. We also like to ask our guests, Jules, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what do you think you'd buy? Oh, wow. So I just bought a house and it's literally empty. You need and everything. So I need just about everything. And I think if I had to prioritize, I would probably, I would buy technology that A, I won't be able to live in my house uh, full time for a couple of years. So I mm. would want to buy like Nest Cams and a Sonos system yeah. and, 
you know, an outside Sonos system. I don't even know if that yes. exists. Yeah. But I would probably venture towards technology enabling my my brand new house. Love it. Smart home stuff. Smart home stuff, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and you're right. Sonos doesn't make outdoor speakers. Oh, so well, you, there goes that idea. You'd have to find another way to do that or or at least keep <laughs> them undercover in one form or another. Somebody's bound to make them. It's upcountry Hawaii, so under cover of rain is not really a possibility. Uh-huh. You're right. And basically rains sideways there when it gets serious about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My wife and I bought a house a few years ago, and on, we discovered this late on the back porch. There was this weird-looking planter with dead stuff in it, and I tried to move it, and it wouldn't move because it was connected. It was actually a speaker hmm. Yeah, that was oh, made wow. to look like a plant. But none of the, the – and there's speakers in the walls in every room. None of them actually work. But uh, <laughs> but they're there. So, yeah, the planter speaker, we, you know, which you see if you go to, like, you know, a theme park or something like that. They have these little speakers in the gardens. Yeah, I, li- I love the ones at Legoland because they, are, they have a rock garden. Ah, literally. And it's exactly what it sounds like, literally, yeah. A rock garden. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm the one making the bad jokes in this show, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Any joke I make is going to be bad, so we can can go to battle over that. All right, we can commiserate (laughs) at least. (laughs) (laughs) So, isn't it really cool how Microsoft and Google are sort of joining forces on this? And by by that, I mean TypeScript. And uh, how cool... TypeScript is and cool enough that Google said, you know what, we like that, and we're going to use use it to uh, build Angular. Yeah, is that a joke? No, that's it. No. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Oh. <laughs> what do you think? Is there more to it? Is there, uh, or is it just happened to be one of those things that uh, just worked out? Is, is there going to be more collaboration on things? Absolutely. Um, I think the the TypeScript collaboration is really awesome. And I and I joined Angular right when that started developing, where mm. the Angular team had considered creating their own language. Um, really glad we didn't go down that path. And instead, you know, discovered TypeScript and opened up conversations with Anders. And in the end, we work really closely with the TypeScript team. Uh, we talk to them often. We go up there often and work with them. But the TypeScript team isn't the only collaboration that we have with Microsoft. And one of the like coolest personal things about my job is that, you know, as I mentioned, I used to work at Microsoft. I worked a lot with Office developers. And uh, so I know lots of people in the Microsoft ecosystem or at Microsoft, and I mm-hmm. get to work with all of my old friends again. Mm-hmm. So we're actually have, uh, we actually have initiatives underway currently with Visual Studio. So we're working with the Visual Studio team on ensuring that Visual Studio developers get the experience that they expect out of Visual Studio when they're using Angular 2. And so there's, there's, there's phases of that project. So the first phase that we're uh, currently working on is making sure that file new gives you the right experience. And then we'll move from having the file new to, you know, what I used to always tell Igor Minar uh, when I come into on Mondays, I, I want my F5 button. <laughs> and so we want to make sure that Angular 2 Visual Studio developers get that button. And so we, we are actively working and specking out uh, that project now. We are also working with the SharePoint engineering team on SPFX and ensuring that the SharePoint front-end framework supports Angular 2. And Igor and I are, are 
uh, actually making a proposal um, in the next uh, few days uh, of how we're going to do that. Again, that's a two-part thing because we need to understand the way uh, SharePoint works a little bit and that we have to uh, take into account how Angular bootstraps, um, but we are actively working with that team. We're also working... Um, with a couple of other teams within within Microsoft, for example, we work pretty closely with the VS Code team to ensure yeah. that they can adopt our language services. I think we might have even released that uh, this week. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of work with Microsoft, and as an ex-softie, I it's just so. I, I mean, I know this is going to sound silly, but it's so heartwarming yeah. because I feel like we are this unique place within Google that gets to make friends and and really show how collaboration can bring the world forward. Um, and it doesn't all have to be about competition. Brings a tear to my yes. eye, really. No, I'm serious. It's it's amazing. Yeah. How did we get here? Truly. Can we talk a little bit about uh, Angular with Dart? Because Dart seems like the internal Google programming language. Yeah, so Angular Dart is, uh, you know, uh, so our team supported Angular Dart. So basically everything we did, we would uh, transpile down to either Dart or TypeScript, right? So right. Um, mm. we support both languages with Angular. Um, some some groups within uh, Google use Angular Dart. Uh, so, for example, Green Tea and AdWords are Angular Dart. Yeah. Um, and then we have other teams that are adopting uh, Angular and other languages, JavaScript, TypeScript. So um, it's not an either or. There's no mandate within Google. Uh, Googlers are free to choose their thing. But yeah, Angular Dart is is Angular, and uh, and uh, they have a you know Dart languages team that we've been working with and. Um, and the product will probably change a little bit in the future. Uh, one of the challenges there is that trying to support Angular across so many languages, right, is there's there's, spe there's specific things to the Dart language that could be done better with Angular, and there's specific things to TypeScript that could be done better. Um, and right. so we're, we've just recently established a way in which the Angular Dart team can make those changes for Angular so that Dart has a better experience, and we can do the same on the TypeScript side. But still have the core feature set be the same. Yeah, the core, the, the Angular Dart team spun from, uh, so they do have their own engineering team now. And that's just, uh, again, an effort to make sure that what's written into Angular for Dart specifically um, is is awesome for those developers. Mm -hmm. yep. And then same thing, it's, there's optimizations for TypeScript. I mean, I appreciate yep. the sort of sentiment of TypeScript being, how do I build a large-scale multi-contributor application that ultimately becomes JavaScript and keep it sustainable, that don't let the code get away from you. Yeah, you know, it's really funny because, uh, you know, I explained how long I've been writing code and, you know, I have a degree in computer science in which we were trained and now I'm really going to tell you how old I am probably. But, <laughs> um, but you know, in, in my degree program, we had to learn C++ and, and, and at Microsoft, I was a .NET developer. And so for me, the, the, the world of what do you mean you don't have types <laughs> was, was Crazy shocking talk. when I... Yeah. It's crazy talking. I remember like the first month that I worked on Angular, uh, Brad and I went to a very large company and he's like, we'll talk to them about types. And I just looked at him like, are you crazy? Like, I'm not going to talk to them about types. Types are like expected. Yeah. But I've since learned that that's not actually true in the JavaScript world. And so, so TypeScript really brings so much value to really large teams who have lots and lots of lines of code with multiple teams contributing over them. And we ourselves on the Angular team have found so much value on being able to shift developers or engineers rather. So we might have an engineer working on animations and suddenly need his help over somewhere else on the compiler. And that transition is very easy in TypeScript allows us to have that sort of um, experience for those engineers. It's And it's wonderful. Like I said, when I saw Angular the first time, I understood nothing until I saw TypeScript. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, got this stuff. Uh, 
looking at the GitHub repository for Angular, how much is Google people, how much is external? Like, do you have a big contribution from the field or is it really driven by your people? Um, no, actually, if you read 2016's uh, uh, State of the Octaverse, which is GitHub's uh, like report on contributions and the largest repositories, you'll see that Angular actually has more contributors than any other project at Google. Um, and and uh, we're we're we have a I think it was like over 12,000 contributors to Angular in some way, shape, or form. And since we're still actively developing Angular 1, we consider those uh, contributions across both. Sure. Um, but yeah, so we have an enormous amount of external contributors, and it's truly one of the most mind-blowing things I've experienced in my career. Hmm. So examples would be, I would say 90% of the CLI is written by external contributors in their free time. Wow. Um, Angular Universal was started, maintained, and gotten to this point by external contributors. We've recently decided to pull it under the Angular umbrella simply because uh, it's become to the point where they couldn't keep up with our development, and we really wanted to make sure using Universal was a good experience for developers. Um, so yeah, we have way more external contributors than we have actual Google engineers. Wow, wow indeed. It's really something. And I'm actually looking at the Angular JS project, and it's just like, Wow, there are check-ins every single day. There's hundreds, Absolutely. We really. released we released Angular 1.6 uh, last night. So, right. uh, again, still actively developing on Angular 1. Uh, that team is led by a, ma a gentleman named Pete Bacon Darwin and their real focus right now is is, you know, making sure that Angular 1 uh, still evolves and also bringing the concepts of Angular 2 like its component architecture into Angular 1 so that developers who are using Angular 1 um, have an easier time to get to, or like a bridge to get to Angular 2 when they're ready. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm looking at the, the upgrade path. I'm like, this is very clever. I see what you guys are doing here. It's going to make it easier for those who need to migrate, recognizing that migration is only going to last so long. I mean, eventually, Angular 1 apps will go away, I, I presume. Yeah, I mean, we think that the performance benefits of Angular 2 over Angular 1 are going to, you know, especially as mobile becomes you know, predominantly important to developers. Right. Um, we think that we'll see that migration, uh, you know, pick up really heavily right now. And, you know, we're learning a lot because, because the migration story and using ng upgrade is still relatively new. This is one of those places where we're getting the most feedback and where we're needing to develop like new features and, and making sure ng upgrade works for the use cases outside of Google that we didn't necessarily understand before, you know, Angular 2 went public and therefore people could start using it. Mm -hmm. And, cool. you know, you mentioned mobile and that brings up this, the host of mobile toolkits. And yeah. some of which rely heavily on Angular. I'm thinking of Ionic, but are yep. there how to what degree do these technologies sort of um, shape what Angular does and how it evolves? And you know, it, it must be an interesting dance that you do with these other frameworks that have now taken Angular's dependency. Uh, you know, it's, it's again, I know it's going to sound cheesy, but it's sort of like peace, love and happiness. We talked to the <laughs> Ionic team. We have daily, I think it's either daily or 
bi-weekly stand-ups with the with Ionic team. We consider them uh, one of our first customers. We pass by a lot of our ideas to ensure that it'll work with Ionic. We consider wow. Ionic use cases as as fundamental to what we do with Angular. We also work, uh, for example, next Tuesday we're going to the Cordova meetup here in Japan. So ensuring that you know Cordova developers are have the right information that they need to get started. And um, you know we also work closely with the Chrome team on PWAs so that people who are not building uh, with Ionic or using NativeScript to build, you know, NativeScript. We we work pretty closely with Telerik on NativeScript as well. Mm. Um, have a solution too. So we we pretty much want Angular to be the right choice across all of those sort of uh, scenarios, and we want you to use which one is best for you. To be honest, and so we we would consider them fundamental use cases. Awesome, yeah, and and super important. I mean, the mo- mobile is driving the world now, so. The idea that you can, you know, just get good at this and it'll work where you need it to work. We just had this conversation last night for like an hour with a bunch of Japanese developers uh, because in Japan, in Asia in particular, mobile apps are super, super important. Sure. And um, one of the things that people struggle with was, well, I need to write an app. Well, now I need an iOS team and I need an Android team yeah. or I need to figure out how to do this. And I have, you know, five different repositories. And so personally, I love the idea of a PWA because you you can, you know, write one code base and you yeah. can extrapolate it across whatever mobile devices you need. Progressive web app. Yeah, progressive web app. That that seems to be the direction that I see a, a, a lot of newer developers who are, who are writing greenfield mobile apps taking because they don't have this legacy of, oh, I, I have to use iOS and I right. need a native Android app and right. I don't necessarily need to be in an app store. That's not what I'm going for. Right. So It doesn't seem to be a feature anymore. Yeah. Being in an app store. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I mean, for I think for some apps, in particular, like gaming apps, right? right? Those are super important to be in in a in a in a Play Store or in the iTunes Store. But I think businesses, what we're hearing is they're less focused on. Uh, in fact, the, the stores often are detriment to what they're trying to deliver to their customers. Yeah, and so it just slows down delivery. Is, yeah, and so I think PWAs really support this sort of hybrid notion, and they give your users the experience they expect out of a mobile app without having that roadblock in your way. So do you see Angular itself starting to utilize PWA type features? There may be a service worker under there somewhere. It'll be part of a manifest, that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. We already support service workers. We're also working on web workers, which are experimental today. Um, we have some PWA samples. Uh, we developed one in specific for China that I think will probably land somewhere on a website as an example. We work fairly closely with the Chrome PWA team in ensuring that there's an Angular uh a repository that people can go look at. Um, Alex Rickabaugh is uh, one of our engineers who really like focuses almost entirely on service workers and, and PWAs and ensuring we have a great uh, solution there. Hmm. And I guess the focus has got to be mobile just because PWA absolutely. makes such sense for mobile. Yeah. Absolutely. And Angular Universal also really is helpful here, right? So um, ensuring that, um, that people, uh, can also use universal in case there's no DOM where, where you're right. wanting to run. So that works with ASP.NET today, uh, Node, and we're actually also work looking at Java uh, internally for that now. Interesting. Interesting. Um, is there anything you can share about future direction for Angular? Where do you see this going? 
Um, I think right now we're still really, really, really focused on performance. We we want to have better performance, and we feel that that is sort of the the cornerstone of of what's going to make a successful framework in the future. Mm. The second thing we're really focused on is tooling. Um, it's an interesting thing working in an open source world, right? Because the internet yeah. isn't always nice, and um, we get a lot of feedback that's not necessarily uh, in a positive way, and. But people don't stop to think like we couldn't write tooling until the framework was done, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. now, now there's a big focus on let's make sure the tooling is is there. So we, for example, launched uh, language services for Angular last week, and this basically allows uh, IDEs like Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code and WebStorm and Atom to really understand Angular syntax. And so mm. the focus is really on tooling and performance moving forward, at least for the next you know three six months. As as far as tooling goes, um, what do you envision differently about how websites are built now? You know, primarily a text uh, in a text editor versus you know the future. Do you see that sort of changing at all in terms of the way we think about you know how to go about adding a feature to a website? So I wouldn't agree that most websites are built in a text editor. Um, I think a, I've not a seen code that. Editor? I don't, I don't mean a text editor, like, you know, with no, (laughs) no support. I just mean, you know, by actually typing code is what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So I think like the biggest thing that I would like to see us solve, and I, and I think there's two aspects of this is I think it is too hard in the front end development world to figure out the appropriate tool chain that gives you the right end solution, Mm. right? And what I mean by that is it's bundled, it's minified, it's tree shaken, you know, it has all these things that have to do and there's so many tools that do it. And so this is where you see that angular opinion starting to come out, which is we don't want to force you into a path. If you want to use system.js versus Webpack, go ahead. But we are going to pick this appropriate tool chain that we feel can give you the right end result and build it into this CLI so that you no longer have to do all of that daisy chaining yourself. You can just say ng build, right? And you kind of get that F5 experience. Yeah. And that's what I would like to see us get to. Very good. Nice. Shield a little F5 in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's my joke. So when I first joined the Angular team, like none of them are Visual Studio developers. No, they're not going to know what that is. Mm-hmm. I want F5. And Igor would look at me like, what? Uh, and so I had to explain it, and and then uh, now he he we 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 actually went up and uh, met with the Visual Studio team a couple weeks ago, and we had this whole lengthy conversation about what exactly F five does under the covers, right. um, so that we can make it happen for Angular two. Um, and so now it's this running joke where I I actually sit right next to Igor in the office, and I'll turn to him and say, I really want that F five button. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome! It's really great. Uh the view of the team is just phenomenal. And, and I and I hope that not only does the product make everyone happy, but knowing that this team is really have the best intentions in their heart. Like I said, I know it sounds cheesy, but I've never been on an engineering team where their goal is really to make people happy. And when people are upset or when developers, you know, do a tweet storm and they're, they're mad, like it really affects their soul. Yeah. And um, I, again, mm. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's really true. It just nice. seems like a, a win-win-win for everybody. Like everybody's incentives are aligned here around Angular. 
Yeah, it's really, like I said, the Microsoft partnership, the work we're doing with external companies, our our contributors, the ecosystem that grows around us. Like we've been simply blown away by the number of companies that were willing to place bets on Angular 2 and do development of their products right alongside our, you know, release phases. Mm-hmm. And that was a challenge. Like, frankly, we were changing the product so rapidly and, you know, they kept up with us. Folks like Ionic and Onsen UI and PrimeNG, you know, they launched their products, NativeScript launched their their product on the same day we did. Hmm, and I wow. think that, that devotion and and their interest and their trust in us is not lost on this team. And, and we all admire what they do. Fantastic. Um, Jules, is there anything else you want to mention? Something you want to call out, an event or, or, or a call to action before we wrap things up? Um, I think the call to action would be, if you want to learn Angular, go to angular.io slash docs. Um, and we'd love your feedback about those docs and how we can make it better. That's actually something I should have mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm really starting to dive down into our docs now that we are in a stable release phase and figuring out how I can make them better. So if you're a developer learning Angular, if you're coming from .NET or Microsoft or Java and you don't understand concepts and you wish we had one in there, please tweet me or send me an email because uh, that's my big project right now is how do we make the docs work for all levels of developers? And back in October, right. uh, episode 13, 66, we talked to Ward Bell, Ward Bell. who works yes. hard on the Angular 2 dogs. Yeah. That is right. He's our editor in chief, and I'm now working with Ward on a daily basis. And we're we're trying to make sure that uh, so, for example, we're making sure that Visual Studio developers or rather ASP.NET developers have a cookbook to tell them like how you get nice. started with Angular 2 and ASP.NET. Um, and so, really, uh, Ward's been awesome, and I talk to him every day. And um, we're here to make it better. Just one thing: make sure uh, the team doesn't all go gold lame all at the same time because <laughs> that is a hazard around Ward. Yeah, hazard. <laughs> you know, I always just want to be him because I don't I know. have the personality that can wear gold lame, but yeah. Yep. He's got these two zoot suits that are original, like from the 30s. And my wife, who's in the clothing industry, just went nuts. And the yeah. two of them huddled in the corner for like an hour going <laughs> over a jacket. <laughs> Like the same way we would pour over a piece of code, those two are pouring over the stitching techniques of this jacket. It was really <laughs> the, the orange zoot suit with the shoulder pads and the, that's the one. And the black yeah, and the shirt hat. and the yeah. white tie. It's an awesome outfit. Yeah, totally fantastic. Awesome. Jules, this has been a great hour. What can we say? It's probably been the highlight show of the year for us, of course, for a number of reasons. But we wanted to have you be a part of it too. And uh, thank you very much for doing what you do. Thanks, you too, and uh, we look forward to talking to you some more. Definitely. And we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.